Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Gilman. This is episode 276. So I have a, I guess a treat for you, Stephen. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this. So I, I sent Parker a package over, over the weekend and he got it this morning, which uh, so <clears throat> a handful of weeks ago, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've talked about this once or twice. I had some LM338 regulators that were kind of suspect uh, in terms of their functionality and made me question if they were counterfeit or not. And it was in your amplifier project that you've been working on for like 10 years. Well, yes, but working on for 10 years is not the right way because you I have had work parts on, for... on a shelf for 10 years and I picked yes. them up <laughs> about a yes. month ago. And and uh, I bought these regulators. These these are not old. These regulators I bought maybe a month ago. Um, I purchased them off of Amazon because at the time I went to purchase them, I didn't feel like buying them from one of the other guys because I didn't feel like waiting the two or three weeks it takes to get stuff from them right now. So I purchased a handful of LM338s from Amazon, threw them in this project, turned it on, and it did not function the way I expected it to. It, it had some really odd results. So I went and actually went back to one of the big players and bought some uh, some confirmed good LM338s. Authorized distributor. Authorized distributors. Yeah, that's a nicer way of putting it. Right, so uh, I just slacked you... Um, the pictures, Steven. So this is the first time Steven's ever seen them. Well, okay. So I put these new before I even look at these pictures. Okay. I put the new ones in the in the project, and it fires up. It works beautifully right away. So what I do is I take two the two bad ones or the two known non functioning ones, and then two of the good ones that I had just purchased that I knew worked, and I shipped them off to Parker because he's got a fancy X ray machine. And so I'm looking for the first time here. Now here's the thing. I don't. I don't remember the brand of the bad ones or the brand of the good ones. Um, so I like the thing is if they're a different brand, who knows if the dye is going to be significantly different or not, but let's, let's, but let's take a look at these pictures and see what, so I, I, I think I'm able to stream these pictures soon. I'll post these pictures on the blog and on Twitter. Um, so the first picture I am showing here is the, is the, it's uh, LM338 underscore zero, Stephen. Okay. And it's the... Um, the, one is, with the, the one with the short cut legs. That's that's the one that were, I don't know, bad, I guess you could say. Yeah. So um, when you take a look at the uh, component itself, um, like in, you can actually, you, you can't really see like the features on the dies because we just don't have the resolution with our X-ray. But you can see the size of the die, and yeah. what's interesting is the die size is about. I think I measured it. It's about a third the size in your first part versus your second part. Mm. So that's really telling. Um, and th- I think they're different manufacturers just because there's. Oh no! Like oh. the package itself is slightly different. Like the legs are different, and um, yeah, like the the, the tab, tab geometry is is different. Is different, yeah. And then, so I then took a close up and I jacked up the energy that you can, you know, the X ray energy, so you can like see more into the device. I I don't know what the right term for that is. <laughs> um, so that's the underscore one picture is the failure device and what's interesting is in that device the the plastic housing or the the encapsulation actually has some defects in it yeah you can actually see like that dark spot almost like there's actually something in that plastic that is more dense than the plastic itself um and then the Third picture is the same kind of shot, but with the the one that works. And what's interesting about this is, like, the die is not even square inside of the package. Yeah, that's the that's the first thing I noticed. In fact, before I before I even thought like good bad, I see that the die is all like wonky inside of the the package. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, and actually, uh, let's see. 
the next picture. Well, one thing that's nice on the on the the good unit, you can see the wire bonds really well. Oh yeah, yeah, and you can also see it in these the next photos, um, like three and four, where I I like tweak the contrast and mm. the um, and the uh, tube voltage a little bit more, and you can really see the the wire bonds in those pictures. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Though you still can't really see it in the presumed fake unit, they are there. It's just a lot harder to see them, and I think it's just the plastic is more dense than the other plastic. Yeah, I was looking at one of the other photos, and and it, it, you can make them out. Although, and then I just, and then I took the um, X-ray head, and then I, I moved it to a forty-five degree angle, so you kind of get a side shot. Hmm. So picture five is. The, the presumed fake component at a 45-degree angle. And the last picture is the good unit working. And it's just interesting to see it kind of a different angle because you can see, like, the the actual 3D geometry of, like, how the legs go into the package and stuff. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. But they are definitely quite different inside that, that component. Yeah, yeah, and and the the thing about this that we can't necessarily like pinpoint or put our finger on is uh, we don't know the manufacturers of each. The only way to make this kind of like a one to one is if if they were both marked the exact same. Um, but the the size of the die seems a little suspect to me. Yes, and and, and just the fact that like I I uh, I validated that they don't work worth a crap. That is neat. And then I took some pictures of... Let me see if I can switch. There we go. And then um, I took some pictures of like... Oh, I didn't send these to you. Let me send these to you. Um, I took some macro shots of like the... Uh, the lasering slash silk screening. Oh, wait. they. Uh, I didn't even... I didn't compare them. They both say national. Or they both have the national uh, logo on it. Yeah, so I sent them to you. One's a direct head-on shot, and then one is a 45-degree angle shot. So you can really... Because when you look straight at it, you just get too much reflection to actually see, like, the lasering. But at a 45, you can see all of it really clear. Um, definitely completely different fabs. Because um, that, so that's very interesting. I wonder what that JM20RP... And O C A K X K U G three, some date code or oh, something lock like that. Code stuff. Lock code. Yeah. 100%. But um, the logo is is different on them, even though I mean it's it's recognizably the same in terms of like you look at it and you know what it is, but it, but it has different line width and uh, is is slightly funkier on one of them. Yeah. What's the most interesting thing between these two devices for me though is like the chamfering is completely different on both these parts. Mm -hmm. And if we assume, let's say the left, the left one's the one that's working for you right now. In yep. this picture. Um, like if you were just to hand these two to me without me knowing, I would say the one on the right was the real one. Cause it's got more features on the part. <laughs> it looks more complex. <laughs> it looks more complex. Um, and the, there was one more thing that jumped out to me. Can't remember it anymore though. It'll come back to me. Hmm. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting that oh, that the the fake one, uh, it's definitely it's not been re it's not a LM, what three three what what's the what was the small one? Uh, three one seven. Three one seven. It's not one of those just like painted over and re lasered or like sanded down. Like it actually does look like that's the original surface for that component. Right, right. So yeah. I'm going to bet you that component actually was counterfeit from the get-go. <laughs> is someone put a different die in there that is not a 338 die? I'm wondering uh, if a quick Google search will f show um, the uh, uh, LM338 die. Let's see here. Like, because the, the, the one that... 
the, the bad one in the x-rays is a square die, and the good one is rectangular. So if, if I do a Google search, am I going to find rectangular dies or images? Now, there? we definitely know they're different. Um, I don't have a way. Do we want to like send them off somewhere to get decapped for sure? I think that would be really fun. I would love to see... Like there is, we know for a fact there is a difference, but we don't. The part that I'm not sure about is, did I just get bad parts, or are they actually wrong? Well, the die size is completely different for sure. Yes, so I would say it is a different part for sure. What would be interesting is to get the one three eight and do an X-ray of that oh, and the, see the if that die yeah. matches. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should we should X-ray a fresh three one seven and see if it matches the die of a of the bad yeah. one here. Yeah, let me put that in our notes so that I can go in next time I order some parts. Um, one three eight, to two twenty. So yeah, so that way I remember to order those parts and then I can X-ray that and compare it and see if that die is actually smaller like the one that you have. So I, I found one shot that's just a, a, a Twitter post uh, of the internals of an LM338, but the, the style that comes in one of those big TO3 cans, and okay. the die in that is rectangular, not square. Not square. Now do the same thing with the 138. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me see here. It's a... Uh, well... Okay, no, so it's LM317 is, is what, what we've been looking bad. for. The the images of that look rectangular as well, not square. So who knows? Maybe you just got some random garbage. It could be a different die, yeah. It could be a different die or it could be, yeah, something entirely different. Who knows? Now we do have to get decapped and figure decapped, out what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. it is. Because a lot of times you'll get, um, except I bet you there's, there's, dies out there that do very similar things to uh lm you know 137 and 338 in fact okay so uh i i I'll, here I'll, I'll put it in the slack for you parker um and uh i put a, a link up in um the twitch chat it's a uh an eev blog uh forum link for uh voltage regulator dies and there's a pretty good picture of an lm317 right at the beginning oh, yeah. of that it is rectangular it's rectangular yeah that's yeah, so what is what what is yours <laughs> <laughs> well and what's interesting is okay so if you look at this this picture from the website there's four bond wires inside but if you look at the thing you x-rayed, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bond wires on the inside of it. Uh, so that's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know why. Yeah, I wonder why. Hmm. I mean, a lot of them are, are duplicates. Probably. Oh, uh, definitely to carry the current at their... Well, you got to think is those are inside cans, so they can probably get away with a larger uh, bond wire. Like if you actually look at those pictures, like the bond wires are ginormous. Yeah, they're pr they're pretty fat. You're right. Yeah, I say in fact, ginormous, the so ones like the, the size yeah, of your hair looks like. Uh, uh, yeah, so for from this good one, there's at least three bond wires that go off to one pin, uh, and that's got to be where the five amps is coming from. Yep. Yeah, or going to, I guess. Cool. All right, so we'll definitely. Uh, I'll order some LM137s just to compare x-ray wise and we'll just ship them off to some place to get decapped. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see this. And then yeah. I guess we could just post that one Amazon link <laughs> that I bought yeah. from just say don't buy there. <laughs> yeah, don't buy those. <laughs> don't buy don't buy electrical components from Amazon. Didn't you just do that the other week? <laughs> it actually got canceled. Oh, did it really? They didn't have any in stock. <laughs> Parker was making fun of me for doing it, and then he texts me like the next day. He's like, "Oh, I bought some." Yeah, no. <laughs> no. The thing is, though, is I didn't buy them from some random eBay seller or, or Amazon seller. I, okay, it was some random person, but I like <laughs> looked up the seller, and I found their warehouse, and they ran like a distributor thing. Got it. Okay. So it, it, at least it was coming from a place that sold parts. <laughs> so I didn't feel that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like. I ordered them and it's 
sat for like two weeks and then they canceled the order. I'm like, thanks. Could like <laughs> call me or something, but okay. That's that's great. Well, okay, and so, like, and I think it's really funny because the entire reason I bought these off of Amazon was mainly because right now I'm super spoiled. Because when I lived in Texas, I could order stuff from Mauser at 6 o'clock in the evening and have it by 10 the next day for regular shipping. And even now that I've moved to Colorado, both Mauser and DigiKey, if I ordered from them, I'd get it in like two days. But uh, because of a lot of circumstances that are going on in the world for the past year or so, it takes like two or three weeks to get anything from uh, Mauser or DigiKey. And I was like, well, mm. I'll just they're just... They're just regulators. They're jelly bean regulators. I can get them from Amazon. And now it's like a month and a half later. <laughs> yeah, except that now you got half a jelly bean regulator. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I still had to go back to those guys and, and order good ones. <laughs> yeah, order good parts. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I've been doing a lot of code recently. Uh-oh. Um mostly with python scripting but talking to test bench equipment like multimeters and power supplies and that kind of stuff are you making so automated doing, test fixtures and stuff yeah doing more and more of that and usually in the past i would like leverage like the test program that came with that company's device or whatever but this is i'm, I'm trying to integrate even more into programming stuff now mm-hmm. um just to reduce like i i you know me, I want to do like the least amount of repetitive work. So I will front load as much stuff as possible. Oh, that's the whole thing about engineering. You will spend a hundred hours designing a thing that saves you one hour. Yeah, but that, that, it saves you that one hour like a thousand times. Well, right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it seems like you're doing a bunch of useless work for a very long time. Yeah, and then you press one button and everything works. Yeah. Or happens. I had a long chat with uh, with an engineering manager about that a long time ago, uh, where where they were saying it's really hard to evaluate an engineer's work because in a lot of ways they can work for an entire year and get what looks like nothing done, and then maybe the next year it's the most amazing stuff ever. It's just really hard to sit down and say like to put a metric on an engineer it. and be like you did good or bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. I'd like how uh, someone in chat just said, oh, no, to my topic I'm bringing up. <laughs> no, I think it's because I said, oh, no, to you coding. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a protocol called SCPI, or the Standard Commands for Programmable Instruments. And if someone out there listening knows what that is, they might have winced a tad um, because it is it's actually not that difficult of a set up the problem is documentation on it is well okay so it's a standard it's uh and it's also it has the best like it's scpi or skippy which is uh, I, of I course like it has to have some kind of goofy name yeah. um and so basically what this is is you send command strings over serial to configure and get results from test uh equipment and the the trick with it is um, there's a standard. So, like, depending, it doesn't really matter what brand of test equipment you have. If it supports Skippy, you are good, in theory. Um, it seems that a lot of companies just have slight, they basically say, yes, we support Skippy. And then it's like, well, not really, or they have their own flavor of Skippy. Like, mm. chunky or smooth. <laughs> um... For those that don't know, Skippy is a brand of peanut butter in the United States. <laughs> so, like, how how universal is this? Like, let's say I was a guy who wanted to make uh, a test program or a, a, a test hardware, and then I wanted to adhere to Skippy. Like, how universal is it? It's per, so far fairly universal. I, I, I've I actually talked to f- today. Today was like my like I've been doing a little bit of research just week and and yesterday uh, not yesterday uh last week um about this stuff and today was like i sat down and wrote a lot of code for it and i was able to talk to like four different manufacturers 
and it's like nine. The, all their stuff is like ninety nine percent the same. It's that one percent gotchas though that mm. always mess you up. Of course, that each one has right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And is it just like a serial protocol that you? It's a command. It's a command protocol. Like measure current DC, and then a thing. So like that command structure is the same across anything that supports Skippy. Got it. Got it. So there's probably. Um, like a cheat sheet for each unit where it just says, you know, this command does this, send this protocol or send these words and you'll get stuff back. Yeah. You and and the, um, yeah. Cause in the PDFs or the data sheets, like the, the big data sheets, like the, almost like the user manual for your test equipment, they will have a section of like, here's all the Skippy commands. Um, now, if you are an engineer out there that works on test equipment, the most important, this is why I keep hammering with like when people are documenting stuff for their software side is please give examples. Hmm. That's like the number one thing, especially for like other hardware engineers that are trying to figure out that don't live and breathe Skippy or any kind of protocol is like give an example that a engineer can just like copy and paste and it works. Just so they have something to build off of. That saves a lot of time. Because you don't know if it's like a syntax error that you're running into or something else. Or like you don't have something configured right. If you're like, okay, if I copy and paste this thing and it doesn't work, then it's not the command I'm sending. It's something else I can look into. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's useful. Yeah. Because that, that would be nice. Because some test equipment, like you send it a command and it doesn't do anything besides it doing it. But a lot of times you don't know. Because it doesn't have a display or anything, right? Right. Um, some some devices will actually like say on display like bad, uh, bad command or bad parameter or something on it when you talk to it. Those are nice. Like I think a uh, BK Precision uh, digital multimeter I'm I'm in using will actually let you know on the unit itself when you don't send a valid command. But like I have a 600 volt power supply that uh it just doesn't return anything. Like, when you send a command, it just doesn't do anything. It just does it, but it doesn't let you know it did it or it was invalid or anything. Ugh. Yeah, uh, so, so is, is I, can you set up Skippy to do streaming, or does it have to be one command, one answer? Uh, so, like, if you want to get... I'm assuming you want to, like, pull, like, voltage... Yeah, it's like, t- tell me the next hundred readings or something like you that. You have to continually... Okay. Pull it. Okay. Yeah. I, you can I'll, easily do that in, on your end. Right. 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 I, I actually yeah. kind of. I think. I think I prefer that a little bit in a test situation. Just like, just to make it more simple, where you're just saying instead of like I'm establishing communication and I want to break it after a certain point, telling it like being very explicit. Say, give me a, a, a reading, get it back. Give me another reading, get it back. Like I kind of like that, uh, just to kind of keep everything. Um, uh, organized in a way. Um, what would, would it be? Synchronous is, is the word you're looking for. Well, extremely synchronous. <laughs> yeah. And so what? what's the Skippy command? This is a question from chat. What is the Skippy command to release the magic smoke? It is uh, set the high voltage power supply to 600 volt and then constant current to 3 amp and then power enable. <laughs> <laughs> Divide by infinity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, um, I I'm curious. I would love to see this uh, a picture of this 600 volt. It actually looks like just like a one U rack mount. Uh, so it's probably not a linear guy. It's probably a, a big. No, it's a, it's a big switcher. Yeah, yeah cool. It's a big switcher. That's awesome. Um, 600 volt three amp. That's that's beefy. Yeah, it's a pretty beefy power supply. Um, the, the interesting thing about that this is the first time I ever done any testing that's over like 48 volts yeah um so there's more considerations of like safety and stuff like making sure 300 volts or six and 600 volts isn't like anywhere near the operator right yeah um but it's actually when you in if you have the current limit too hard or set too low on this power supply it it can't ramp up fast enough or it can, it just takes a long time. Because when you enable the output, it's got to ramp 0 to 600 volts 
and if you current limit it, it's current limiting those, you know, those output capacitors. Mm. And uh, that's very interesting. So, so what I've done is like, if I need a ramp really quickly, I'll set the current limit high ramp and then set the current limit low once after ramping is done. I wish there was a way to like, it would just automatically know that um, it's got some slew ratings. And I don't know if you can basically set a slew in there. Like say I need to go from zero to 600 in this time frame. And if that basically adjusts the current limit to do that, I don't know that though. We'll see. Hmm, that's cool. I, I, that sounds expensive. Let's just put it that way. The power supply? Yeah. Um, I think it was like 800, 900 bucks. So for a calibrated piece of test equipment, actually that's, not that That's not bad. No, that no. really isn't. And uh, the documentation is, is okay. On its skippy commands, um, I ran into a big issue with it where, like, it requires a certain kind of line feed at the end that is not in the command documentation part. It's like at the very end of like the skippy documentation. Hmm. So, like, at, it, like when you open up your manuals for all these devices, like they go, "Here's the command structure of skippy," and so you can like re- read it, and like almost all the same, and. Usually in that will tell you like if there's a weird line feed or carriage return that you have to give it to like so it knows that you're done giving it a command. Yeah. And it didn't have anything special. So I'm like, oh, it's probably just the normal line feed stuff. No. So it just would never respond to Skippy commands or USB in general. And then basically after reading the entire documentation on like the last line, it tells you what it is. It's just like, why is that not like the first thing to tell you? <laughs> We've been talking about documentation pretty regularly now, both both here and on um, in our Slack channel, and and I think it's it's almost universal that people are um, people just think that uh, documentation is almost universally bad. Like you you see way more examples of bad documentation than someone being like, "This is good, thank you. This was easy." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's actually just jump into that. Is the uh, this is a question I posed into Slack channel and Twitter last week, and uh, it, it's is bad documentation worse than no documentation? I, I saw a lot of people saying um, yes to that answer or to, to that. Yeah, I would agree yes as well. Um, I think we need to qualify like what is bad documentation. I mean, no documentation. We know what that is. What is? What do we mean by bad documentation? Yeah, because because actually, I would say there's two things that are bad. For well, well, two different categories of bad documentation. Because one is you read it, it looks like good documentation, but it's not correct. But it's bad. <laughs> so that makes it bad. And then there's also bad documentation, which is when you open up and you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and and Mobius Striptease in the uh, in Twitch had his, has it perfect right there. Incomplete ver- documentation versus incorrect documentation. Are you not given all the information to complete your task, or are you given information that will prevent you from completing your task yeah, based yeah. on the the documentation? So so most of what I see is. Um, Incomplete documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff. It's like if you have more, if you have innate knowledge about the product, and you get this procedure or this documentation, you can perform it because you 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 can figure out the gaps in it. Right. And the reason why that there's gaps in it is because whoever wrote it just didn't think that was knowledge that uh, someone who had no idea what this thing is needed. Um. But the problem is when you get uh, in- incorrect documentation because it will it, on the surface when you read it you're like oh yeah this looks complete uh, and it looks fine that is the worst though because you start actually doing the procedure you know like three months later and nothing works right at all right <laughs> and then you spend four months rewriting everything <laughs> that you know that's one of the oh, gosh that's that's the the worst like um when when great example i inherited a project a product at my my first company in terms of like i was the manufacturing engineer over it and uh we had a test program that was written in vb whatever 
like bazillion years ago. It was not documented. None of the code was commented. There was nothing. And it was held on one computer in the manufacturing, on the manufacturing floor, on a spinning hard drive. So, and that was our number one product. That was the product that we sold the most of. So it was like, if that computer went down, it's kaput. Nobody knew anything about it. The engineer who who developed the entire test bed was long gone kind of thing. And and I I was like, there's not a solution here that is that is nice because it would take probably longer to go and dissect all of this than it would to go and just write a whole thing from scratch. But that's a great ex- example of there's no documentation, even if you have the actual thing. Like we had yeah. the program and it was functional, but there's zero documentation. And it was like, luckily we caught it and we were like, oh my God, like this, we need a backup somewhere of this thing, especially if you're making multiple millions on this one product. And, mm-hmm. and that's the safeguard you have is a spinner hard drive on a computer and manufacturing floor. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, um, so, so we, if we could rank them, like, the worst thing is is uh, incorrect documentation, and then incomplete documentation, and then just no documentation. I, I, I want to throw a monkey wrench in there real quick because uh, no documentation could be worse. And the reason why I'm thinking it could be worse is because there's the expect, expectation that there should be some documentation whatsoever. So if you can't find that documentation, now you have to ask yourself, why is there no documentation? And should I go on this wild goose chase to try to find it because it should be there? And is the documentation behind a paywall or is it really hard to get? Or do I have to sign up for all this garbage to get the documentation? It You might waste a bunch of time trying to find it. So that might actually make it even worse to have no documentation. Um, this is a really good comment from from uh, the Twitch chat, which is uh, Craft Labs saying, I love digging through old code to figure it out. And he calls it digital archaeology. <laughs> um, so I so why people wouldn't like that Craft Lab is. It's not so it, it's not your job to understand or to figure out the code. It's your job to use it. If that makes sense. Um, like, like, for my example is like, I see at Macrofab, I see like hundreds of products in like a month. I should not, I, I don't, I can't understand 100% of each product. <laughs> it's just impossible. Right. Um, so having good documentation about a product so that, I can build it correctly for them is very important. Um, but most of the time I don't basically, if something has no documentation and I ask the customer, is there any documentation? That's the great thing for me, at least Steven is when uh, there is none. And I ask, I, I, I just go straight to the person who gave me the stuff originally. Right. So I don't have to go like looking to see if there's a paywall or anything like that. Um, and the great thing, though, with no documentation, though, is at least I know that I don't know anything about this. Um, I think there was a comment on Twitter that is, uh, pardon my French for this, but with no documentation, you know immediately you're fucked. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I like that a lot because that's exactly what it is. It's just right away, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know right away and you know what you're getting to and you can charge the right amount of money to basically build that documentation for that customer. Yeah. Whereas, you know, eight months down the road, you built a bunch of product, pull out the documentation and you start reading it and you're like, oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> well, and, and there's OK, so there's different grades of documentation as well, because like, OK, so there's documentation that just gives you information about the the thing. And then there's documentation that gives you information on how to use the thing. And then there's documentation that gives you all the nitty gritty details of the stuff about the functionality of, of the thing. Most of the time when we're talking documentation, we're talking about that last one. We're talking about yep. we want the, the how the heart beats inside of this yeah. device. Um, theory of operation. Right. Or, a good term for yeah, that. Like, I want to know everything about it. Yeah. I, 
but but take for example my testing team we were just talking about a uh, a document from one of our clients today and and they were it was a, it was a testing document and it was basically like you know power up the unit and you're supposed to turn a knob and uh, some LEDs will do some things and I'm paraphrasing there but it wasn't that much more in depth than that and the the the, the result was hey that's fine that's what the customer wrote that is a test that tests plenty of things. Uh, you know, it tests that the, the, the processor's reading the, the, the pot turning and it's, it's doing something in relation to it. We don't have to know all the nitty gritty of what's happening in there. In that situation, that documentation was plenty enough right there. Uh, but then again, I've also had plenty of documentation where it's like, you know, just make sure it works. And that's always maddening. So going back to... That was a little bit of a, tan- a planned tangent, I guess. Because <laughs> uh, going back to uh, Skippy is basically the kind of the problem I'm running into is with, like, if you're doing embedded code, like, one of the things you do is, like, you make a serial port and you, like, spit stuff out over the serial port so you can read what, like, your microcontroller is doing and stuff. Um I mean, you can have a debugger and stuff too, like see memory values and register values. But a lot of my, a lot of a lot of your debugging is like printing to your serial terminal, see what's going on. Um, but going the opposite way when you're making like code on your computer and then like sending out serial terminal commands to a device that you don't really, it's a, I mean, like a, it's a black box. You're sending it commands and it. Sometimes responds, sometimes it doesn't respond, and you don't know why. Mm. Um, it would be nice if I was if there was a way to do like a com port like sniffer, or maybe even a like a spoofer. Like it makes like a virtual com port that you you can send stuff to, and it like just reports what it's getting. Oh, I'm sure that exists, right? Um, so if anyone out there knows something like that, that's um, like. Preferably open source, but if it's a good enough tool, I would definitely pay for it because that would, I'd probably save money like in time and like the first time I use that to, uh, piece of software. Um, yeah, like basically because I have a, a, um, a piece of test equipment that doesn't have the communicate, it doesn't, it doesn't support Skippy, but it has its own protocol. And so I can talk to it and I can get it to like, I can get to identify, so it will spit back what it is. Um, most have like a command called um, IDN question mark, like identify yourself basically, and so that works actually. And that's part of the Skippy command, but all the other commands don't work. And I'm reading its documentation, and it's in its like serial string structure is kind of funky. And um, yeah, it'd be nice to make sure I'm actually sending in the right stuff because also like. Um, um, I also have to make sure Python is like structuring stuff correctly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, uh, it's a uh, Python's not a very um, type heavy. It's like it's like type like your your values are like type agnostic basically. Right. Like they can be anything. Um, where unlike C, C's like you made this thing a char. It is always going to be a char unless you cast it. <laughs> and I will throw um, eight hundred warnings when we compile. Yeah. Um, so I, it would be nice to have a, a piece of software that was like that. Well, what, what I see, what I think is might actually be really useful in that situation is just a thing that's listening, and as soon as it gets a command, it flips it around and spits the exact same thing back at you so you can just read it and you know exactly what you said. Oh, like, well, that's like an echo. Yeah. But I'm more looking like my computer, there's a USB cable that goes into this device. Mm-hmm. It's doing an emulated COM port. Um, and just a piece of software that's like looking at that COM port and is able to just say what the that's effectively uh, what, I'm saying. what the buffer is just are. a sniffer effectively yeah. yeah. Um, someone recommended the bus pirate, but that a bus pirate actually is for hardware, like the actual read hardware sig- uh, signals. I don't need a box on my USB cable. Like it should be able to just read the registers on the computer to see what's going on. Um, someone's recommended comportmonitoring.com. Is that where I get my free credit report? <laughs> I'll, ch- I'll check that out after the podcast. 
Um, man, I'm just going on with with the the test stuff today because it's good. I, I, these came in, and these are uh, Easy Hook Insulation Piercing Wire Clamp SKU eight five zero seven. Yes, we're bringing back the Tasty Chip segment. Except it's not a chip. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, uh, is, is this something you clip onto a wire and it bites in? Yeah, so it's got, it's going to be really hard to show over the stream because of the resolution. But it's got little teeth in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it goes, yeah. Oh, cool. And so you, you squeeze down this, this spring-loaded clamp and you put your wire in there. And then when you release it, it the the needles pierce the insulation and so you don't need the strip wires or worry about um or worry about uh if like uh insertion forces for like idc style cables um so this is useful for like testing product that just have a wiring harness just and that's and you have to hook up to the wiring harness to test um and uh so i found these last week and uh they came in this morning, so they uh, the the getting their Mobius striptease. Uh, that's a user in our in our Twitch chat. Is um, it's what are the specifications? And the specifications are really really interesting in the data sheet because the max current is one amp, and you're like, oh good, that's fine. And then max voltage zero volts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to guess. The reason why is because it, the company doesn't know, like, I mean, like, what if you put, like, a a uh, a wire that's coded in, like, let's say Kevlar that's, you can't slice through it, right? Hmm. Kevlar, like, I, I, I don't know if they make Kevlar insulated wires, but if they do, this wouldn't work on it, right? Probably so, not. So they probably can't, um, uh, they don't know how well they're going to pierce through uh, the insulation, so they don't really have a voltage rating. I'll, I'll put it this way, though. It goes into, like, a 1024 stud, so you can probably put a lot of power through that stud. The trick is going through the little teeth. Well, I mean, really, like, the the voltage rating of this thing is just whatever you put it next to. Like, <laughs> the insulation yeah. of, like, where it's at in the system, right? Oh, so uh, this this comes from EasyHook.com. That's it is EasyHook. Yeah, that's the uh, they have a lot of interesting like test hookup stuff. Oh yeah, you so. can get them. Yeah, you can get uh, different thread sizes and everything. That's cool. Yeah, but that that company makes a lot of really interesting test equipment, like fixturing and like clamps and stuff like that. Huh. So, I would love to see. I'm pretty excited. What to people try to have use done out. with these. What was that? I would love to see what people have done, like just see these in in other applications to see what creative things people ah. have done with them. So I'm going to set up five of these, and they come in color-coded. So I'm going to set up five of these in a row in this fixture I'm making. And what I'm going to do is actually 3D print a cover that goes over it all that just has a hole in it. So that what you do is you, you would, and these buttons are exposed, just the tops. Mm -hmm. So you press the top of the button, and then there's a hole that you just slide the wire in. And so it will be able to have a stop so you, when you slide the wire in it will only go in like a quarter inch past the the teeth mm -hmm. and then release the button and it will clamp down and hold it are you, and that are, way i was actually thinking of a way of um eventually like just put like a big like pneumatic actuator and so you can like a foot pedal stop down actuates all these down and then you stick your wires in and then lift up uh lift your foot off the pedal and it Unlatches or latches, depending on your point of view, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff here on Easy Hook. These are cool. Uh, I'm going to have to go and look through all yeah, of Yeah, it's their pretty cool website. They got a lot of cool product. What, what, is, what is your application with that? You said you're testing harnesses, but are you actually trying to test... Um, the, uh, are are you trying to test like connection or are you trying to test actual signals on there? Oh, I'm pass. I'm going passing. I'm going to be passing 300 watts through this thing. <laughs> 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 uh, 
That's really so great. I'm gonna be putting it through its paces. Communication, uh, communication and power, basically. Nice. So should be fun. Should be fine. <laughs> this will be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> cool. Um. All right. So I got one more thing before we jump into uh, your adventures in plastic molding, because I'm really interested to hear about that. And it's an update to oh, there it is. It's an update to the amplifier. So I got the gross coating or gross vinyl off of it, and I started vinyl wrapping the enclosure. Yeah, it looks nice. So this is the red, red orange ish that I picked. Kind of matches the original. I like. And then it. I have a cream that's going to go on on this side. Super cool, man. Hard to do that tonight. Looks great. And then uh, stuff electronics back in it and start rebuilding that part. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That part will be fun. I mean, you're already playing stuff out of it, so it's basically fun. Yeah, we, just, we definitely need to recap it, though, because yeah. uh, it did shock me eventually. <laughs> the death uh, cap got me. You know, uh, do you know how many? It's, it's not particularly high voltage, right? What? I don't I don't remember what the what the voltage is in that thing. Oh, it's 120 volt. Well, I mean like the the B plus, is it like 300 400? Yeah, it's around there, yeah. Okay, okay. That's no, I it, think it was like 170. Is that what you got tagged with? Or did you get hit with like ground current flowing? Um I think I got hit with the ground current, okay. like the neutral line. Yeah. It was very low low current though. It did not. It it definitely did not hit me as hard as as a normal wall socket would have. Oh, okay, yeah. So, it was it was a, a very uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it completely different from uh, your your uh, your um, spark plug experience, right? Oh, <laughs> that was definitely that is the worst. <laughs> Actually, that on your ass. No, that was the last time I ever got shocked was the spark plug thing, and so this was the last. This it's been. Five years since last time I got got a little little tingle in the fingers. So, I, I got I got hit by mains two years ago. I was I was working inside of um, our CNC cabinet at work, and um, I had not switched it off. And I was uh, adjusting something with a screwdriver, and I I it it, bu- it bumped in it and it and it hit the mains, <laughs> and uh, and like I got I got that little you know. Mains when you get when you get shocked by mains I don't look okay I, I don't I don't want to reduce it it's incredibly dangerous you could die from it there I did my spiel there but like when you get hit by mains it kind of you jiggle a little bit like you feel it jiggling right and uh, and I've been I've been hit by it more more times than I you know care to um, it re- say but like again, it hit me the- and I was like oh yeah that's mains huh. you know turn it off keep working <laughs> it's not the voltage it's the current right so right right. Um, fortunately, most of the time for wall voltage, this is just generalization and no, was it, uh, don't do this at home, right? Is generally your skin has enough resistance. So you're not getting a lot of current, um, but that can easily change if you're a little sweaty. So, all right, let's, uh, let's talk. Don't say it's not the volts. It's the amps. It's true. The voltage allows it to go into you, but it's the current that actually will make your 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 ticker not worky. <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about plastic molding because um, okay. uh, I've been working on a project since uh, about last summer. It's been it's been generally slow, but uh, we we've had okay. So the the premise is we we have a product at work where um, we use some switches that are some nice feeling tech switches that have an integrated LED in them, little J leg guys and stuff. They're, they're nice switches. However, we found greater than we care to deal with failure rate on these. Oh, is this, is this going back to, Oh man, it was like a year ago. It's definitely pre COVID the uh, snap switches. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That you are, you're replacing tax switches with these snap switches with the LED. It's uh, it hasn't been over a year, but yes, uh, 
the uh, but yes, been over a year. No, I think we started out last summer. Uh, We've been talking about it for a long time. Let's just put it that way. It worked. We've been executing on it a lot sooner than that. Um, So, so the yeah, so we've been uh, we've been working on on getting this this up and running. And uh, uh, so I've, I dev- so basically we have these these tax switches that we've been putting on our units, and we're, like I said, we're just not happy with their results. We get we get higher f- uh, failure rate than we want. So we we looked into doing some snaps domes on uh, on PCBs as a substitute. And uh, basically, what it's boiled down to is we I've developed my own plastic actuator uh for this and we finally gotten to the point where we're getting them injection molded so i kind of wanted to talk about uh the process that i've gone through in the past two or three months to kind of give an idea of, uh, for anyone who's not been in uh who's never done plastic molding to kind of get a feel for what it what it's like and uh you know, everyone's mileage is different, but with this one company that I'm working with, they've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, so here's here's sort of the breakdown of, of how it works. I, I, I met with one of their engineers, and I, I showed them a 3D-printed widget that I developed, and I gave them my whole spiel about, I'm an electrical engineer, not a mechanical engineer, so I developed a thing that in my mind will work, but I want to work with you to make it work a lot better. Let's just put it that way. And uh, so the, uh, the the way it goes is that I provide the model to the company and I get an initial review. And that's that meeting that I get with those people. They then go and uh, have a big DFM uh, just review of everything. And that DFM includes a lot of things that are like uh, this this particular facet or feature of your, your plastic will uh, will work well. This other feature will not. Here's here's a report of like shrinkage. Here's a report of all the areas where we think that we can hold uh, the tolerances you're asking for. Um, and then we have a discussion on things like uh, where can we put ejector pins and where can we put like um, the actual gates that inject the plastic into the part. Those kinds of things. So you get this whole report and uh, you you go back and forth on that. And once you've kind of agreed that like, okay, these are all the ways that we can do things and I can accept all of this shrinkage here and there, you've released a prototype. Now, the, the, the goal here with what I'm making is to have it actually manufactured in the United States. In fact, manufactured here in Denver. Uh, but the mold itself is, is made overseas. So uh, the, the process goes, we make the mold, we get prototypes, we validate, the mold comes over here, and then we run production here. Uh, it just it works out a lot easier, saves time. Well, originally the plan was to do the mold, excuse me, do the mold here as well, but uh, just it didn't work out that way. Everyone's so swamped right now that it's like, okay, we'll outsource the mold making, but do production here. So uh, after we release to prototype, it's about five to six weeks. I would actually probably say eight weeks. Uh, from the time that you release to prototype to the time that you will actually have your first prototype in your hand because they have to actually make the molds for it. Now, depending on what you're getting shot, uh, it, 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 you know, the size of it and the complexity of it can change all of those things. Also, the end result of what you're looking for, like if you're wanting to make 10 trillion of the, your little widget, they're going to do different mold sizes or different number of cavities in the mold or whatnot. Uh, for ours, it's small and we're, we got a small mold, um, because our, our initial run, we want to purchase a hundred thousand and we'll be doing about a hundred thousand every year. Um, so I got a small mold with four cavities in it. So for this initial prototype, we're actually, um, machining only one of the, the cavities. Uh, so, I get, after about five to six weeks, like I said, probably closer to eight weeks, um, I get my first prototypes. I get to validate them then, go through everything, and I, I, we, we make any changes that are necessary uh, to either the, the material or we, we modify the mold if needed be, and then we do a second round of prototypes. So you can expect another two weeks there, maybe two or three, uh, and, and maybe even a week beyond that for uh, shipping and all that. And then I get my second prototypes in. Once I approve all of that, then the mold gets sent over. Uh, so probably another uh, two weeks or so there. So all I'm really getting at is from the day I, uh, I 
said, yes, we're good. Like the day after we approved the DFM report, you're probably looking at two to three months uh, before the mold comes back and you've approved everything. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind if you're like trying to get to production in three weeks. It prob- probably isn't going to happen on something no, like that. And, um, and uh, so after that, you know, the, the mold comes in and then you have to schedule how and when production actually works kind of thing. So just a general idea here for, for this device that I'm going at. In fact, I've got some pictures up. Um, I don't know if you're able to share them with Twitch, Parker. Uh, the pictures, I got pictures of the mold and then pictures of the first actuator that I, uh, I designed the first shot there. Let's see if I can. It's, it's basically a, a, a small plastic, um, I don't even know how to put it. It's like a four-legged device that has a, uh, a spring on the inside, a three-armed spring on it with a center pole. It's all shot from uh, opaque plastic and uh, it's such that we can shine an LED through it. So our snap domes that go on our PCB have a hole in the middle, and we, we install a uh, 1206 rear mount LED under on the back side of the board. So we have contacts on the top side of the board and LED on the back side of the board. And then this actuator fits on top of that and uh, and actuates just the snap dome. And then we can illuminate the center pole of this. And uh, the, the goal of this was to make an actuator that is sing- one actuator per button kind of thing instead of arrays because we want to use this on multiple products and just based on what the product is, you can just snap it into, you know, uh, different locations. Different locations because we have some uh, we have some models or some products that just need one, and then I have one product that needs ninety three in an array. So it's <laughs> it's just. You, it's kind of crazy. So we also designed it such that it kind of has, if you look at the profile or if you look at top down view, more like it kind of has a little bit of a football shape such that if you put these in a four up array, you can stick an M2 standoff right in between them. So uh, it allows you to screw everything together there. So overall cost here, uh, just kind of as like a general idea uh, to keep in mind if, if, injection plastic is what you're going for back to that the the mold cost in total is is 10 to fifteen thousand dollars that includes all of the all of the ancillary things all of the the both um of the uh, the prototypes that we go through the machining and the shipping and everything um so the thing about it is um the previous solution we had with all of our tax switches we estimate uh, was about for just the switches was ended up costing us about thirty five dollars per unit when we're making in quantities of about two hundred uh, for this product. By moving to a plastic so- a solution like this, it's closer to twenty three to twenty seven dollars a unit. So and with the snap domes, with the snap domes, and with you know placing ninety three actuators um, in there. And so in so besides the monetary improvements basically increase it would be able to increase your margins it's also reliability right absolutely 100 percent. and and so uh we found with those tax switches we had to implement a new test in our production uh just to catch for you know a, when you put 93 units down on a, on a board there's a chance that that one of them is bad and you multiply that times 200 units you know, you're talking about many, many reels of these switches going onto these units. Uh, we run into bad LEDs before they even get to our testing department, mm-hmm. and so uh, you, we didn't even factor that into that additional cost that that I put up there, that thirty-five dollars a unit. But we, we had, had to, to rework a switch a full, or something. Rework the switch, but even the cost of doing a full extra test on every unit. So it's it's sort of been a heartache in that sense. That I mean, that's why we're spending all the money going through and developing our own switch for this kind of situation. And and the thing is, like, in our world, the feel of the switch is super critical. Yeah, super uh, important. Super important. And and we want this thing to, to, to feel like the tax switch. So I've spent a considerable amount of time, like, adjusting geometries and, and stuff just to make sure that it feels right. Because if you buy... Uh, one of these new units after all of this is implemented and you had an old unit, we want them to feel about the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 
like to you would you when you say like failures of switches like just like after assembly um some people might think that's really weird but like at before macfab at dynamic perception we had a device that had five tack switches on it so when you when you have a normal tack switch and you're just sticking with like the normal six millimeter style tack switch those are pretty reliable but the moment you go off into a slightly different kind of tack switch like for some reason it feels like the defect rate goes through the roof um because we were using tack switches that had a really long stem and so that they could poke through the enclosure um and like so when i started there um there was boxes and boxes of these units that just had failed tack switches and um one of the first things i did was went through those all those boxes and just reworked those switches basically turned you know scrap into gold <laughs> yeah but it took probably took a considerable amount of your time to do it's mostly finding the one that was bad hmm. um but it, it didn't take too long because you would just nuke the the switch off with heat so oh yeah you're not but the thing is like with our application we have in in that one product that has 93 buttons they're in a a grid of 0.4 inches by 0.4 inches you can't yeah. just hot air one off you're gonna melt six of them if you yeah, do melt, that yeah so, these are they're pretty spread apart yeah well i'm excited to see like this whole saga of the dome switches injection molding like like the final frontier kind of like picture of it all stacked together on the PCB. Now I don't have these in hand yet. They will, uh, I'm supposed to get them later this week or early next week. And I've developed what I call the button masher 9,000, which is, it's a, it's a fixture that has some solenoids on it. And, um, I'm, I'm just going to put some, uh, some like soft foam pads to simulate a fingertip on, uh, on it. <laughs> And and I'm just gonna have these solenoids hammer. You're not these, just gonna go to like, just just like get a finger. I bet you can get a finger on like eBay or something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Maybe you know I could just go like defrost a pig's foot or something like that, and just stick some pig skin in there. Uh, but but my goal is I want to I want to just take these things to failure with these solenoids and just keep pressing over and over and over uh my my hope is i want to get to over a million presses on these because um, that would that would easily exceed what we're seeing from field failures in mm -hmm. the um on the tax switches the tax switches are probably i think they're rated to a million they're not we're not getting anywhere near a million out of them and it's a lot lower. It's way, way, way lower. So if I could get a million out of these. Now, here's the thing. The entire actuation of this device only moves 16 thousandths of an inch. So it's really, really small um, movements in them. And, um, and it's supported all the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, think, I think I should be able to get that. Well, my quick Google searching for finger-pressing analog doesn't really come up with like a way to get a finger so maybe i'll just go buy uh, a pork belly and take the skin off and then just make little rings of pork belly skin <laughs> <laughs> actually foam is probably good enough yeah foam and it won't smell <laughs> yeah, just, I'm I'm sure after a million presses, the skin will just be like everywhere. <laughs> no, actually, that's that's one of the things that that I'm I'm I designed into my fixture. The solenoids. The goal is not to have the solenoid like hammer into it. Like go like I don't want the plunger to be off of the switch and then have to hit the switch into actuation. I want it to be making contact with the switch when it's off, and then mm -hmm. it just basically pushes the switch into. Um, over its over its trip point, so it, yeah, it's not it's not completely retracted. Um, yeah. In fact, I'm so I bought little solenoids that have those retraction springs on them. I'm just going to take the springs off. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, gadget junkie, you smell bacon. Uh, the thing about it is, these solenoids each pull an amp to do to do their work. I I I think I'm going to have to have some kind of forced air cooling on the the solenoids because they're going to be they're not like I mean I'm going to there's four of them. My goal right now is to do them one two three four and then just kind of repeating that. 
uh, situation. So they're so they have a twenty five percent duty cycle because uh, I don't yeah. want to just have all four just chunk 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 chunk. You know, you should make it play music. <laughs> yeah, that would be, or yeah, do do some kind of you know pattern in them. Uh, mainly also because I don't I don't want to have to have a, a power supply sit there and do twelve volts zero amps, twelve volts four amps, twelve volts zero. You know, to just bounce between that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I think it's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I think so too. I'll uh we'll post these uh pictures and hopefully sometime soon we'll have like some working actuators going. Yeah. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast and sitting and listening to us through our live stream on twitch.tv. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash slack. <laughs>